Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. Today, my guest is Hilary McMillan, fashion designer, and we are going to dig into, she's marking her 10th anniversary in the business. So we talk about a lot of the things that Most entrepreneurs have top of mind. We dig into sustainability, scaling, pivots, leadership. We cover it all. It's a really inspiring conversation. Let's get to it. Hillary McMillan, it is so wonderful to have you here on Fashion Talks today. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So give us a little bit of the Hillary McMillan story. Where did you grow up? What kind of kid were you? Where did it all start for you? Ah, that's a tall order. Um, I grew up just outside of Toronto in Richmond Hill. I was actually born um, in the U.S. and then I moved to Canada when I was three years old. So I spent my whole life in Ontario, around Toronto, in that whole area. And then um, I actually went to school in Vancouver. So I went to to Vancouver, went to UBC and lived there for about six years. And that's where I went to design school. And then I came back to Toronto and I've settled here ever since. And... When you were at UBC, what were you studying? I was studying policy and economics, which I know is kind of a weird pathway to lead to where I am now. But, um, you know, you're 18 years old. You know, no one knows what they want to do at that, at that age. So I, I went and got an arts degree at, at University of British Columbia and kind of picked two things I was interested in, which was policy and economics. And I learned a lot about how to like be an adult and, you know, live on my own. And that was kind of the, the biggest thing I took from university. So what was fashion something that was always part of your life and it just wasn't something you were looking at professionally? Like what was your relationship with fashion like when you were growing up? I grew up in like a very creative household. So my mom's a realist painter and she's an artist and my dad's in the fashion space. So I've always kind of been around it and been around, you know, creative environment. So that's always been something that's been well fostered in, in my family, but it wasn't anything I actually ever considered um, until after I graduated, I was in my early twenties. I didn't know how to sew, didn't have any clue about anything about how clothes are put together, like any idea about that at all. And so for me, it was hard to kind of visualize what a career in that would look like without having any skill based or idea about how things are put together. So I, you know, went the traditional route and, um, you know, kind of became where I am today, but I really fell in love with fashion when I went to school and, and discovered the like how a garment's put together and how you create like a blazer or a skirt and kind of the pattern drafting and the process of fitting. And that's really what I fell in love with um, in fashion and kind of, you know, understanding fit and how people's bodies work is really kind of where I geeked out in school on. So I'm going to ask you, I want to get back to something about your journey, but before we do that, because we're talking so much about clothes, I believe everyone who listens to this podcast knows I love asking this question. I believe we all have that moment. People who live in love fashion, who certainly work in fashion, have a moment where they realize that clothing holds more power than just fabric covering our bodies and protecting us from the elements. I'm wondering if you have a moment where you remember when you got that understanding or maybe even the outfit you were wearing that made you feel differently about, about fashion, about style, about clothes. So I love your podcast. So I knew this question was coming. So I was thinking about it. I was trying to like pinpoint really kind of where my love of it came from. And 
you know, I've said in past interviews is that I made this little yellow skirt and that um, it's the first thing I ever made and I fit it to myself and I wore it. But I was thinking back on like, you know, growing up in my high school and um, I think that's kind of where it began actually is I went to a school where we wore uniforms um, every single day. And so it was very like strict and traditional and, but we all kind of had little things we did to make it personalized or make it our own, whether it was like pins you put on your backpack or the type of like shoes you would wear, or the nail polish you would try to sneak in or some kind of accessories. And it was such a powerful way in such a small way that we kind of did our own individualism in it and we kind of like made it our own uh, without getting in trouble. Um, and I think that was the first real like way I think that fashion impacted me is because we really, people were really using it to show who they were in a, such a strict sense, but these little like, you know, anarchist little moments that we had to kind of be ourselves and within this like rigid kind of uniform we were supposed to stick to. And I think that was like really great. And I was kind of like, and then we had like a grub day once a month where we can kind of really dress how we wanted to. And, and that, like, I was always so excited for those days and kind of being able to show my individualism. And, and, you know, I think that's where my love of it came from is like seeing all these people do these little secret things to kind of show who they are. It's like, Bucking the system a little bit, how you can work within the system, but still rebel a little bit with ways that that speak to who you are, as opposed to the way you're, you know, supposed to dress in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. Little sneaky ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that little sneaky ways. So let's take those sneaky ways because I'm so fascinated by your story. So you've done your arts degree and you've always, you said you're always been interested in like how you know, garments are put together. What was going on in your mind where you thought, nope, I am going to do this design. I'm going to take this path. And then did you go to school? Like what prompted that decision? So after university, I went to a small design school in Vancouver called Blanche McDonald's. And I was kind of looking for a program that wasn't going to be too intensive. I didn't want to do another four years. Um, I wanted to see this was for me. So it was a, a year-long intensive program. So like every single day with um, full classes. And then we put in together like a, we had a end of the year product, like a collection we put together. And I fell in love with so much of what fashion was by doing that. You know, we like went to a manufacturing facility in Vancouver and we got to like see behind the scenes, which, um, you know, this was back in 2009. So you didn't see a lot of that like you know, on the news or in social media or just behind the you know, factory tour. So that I like loved doing that. And I graduated and then my sister actually wanted to open up a jewelry store on West Queen West area. So she asked me if I'd move back and help her with it. So um, I was kind of feeling ready to go back to Toronto anyways. And I did that and I really got to see the buying side of it. So we were buying jewelry from different designers, going to trade shows like in New York and Paris and all these different places. And I got to see a lot of the business side of what that looked like and being in the West Queen area. It's so like artsy and it's so inspiring. And I was fortunate enough to be able to put some of my, like had a storefront that I could put some stuff in. Cause that was one of the biggest hurdles in the time is like, you can make clothes, but who's buying them and where are these people coming from? Um, and you know, I did a small collection and so I decided to kind of put it in her store and see how people will react to it. And I really, I was working there every day, so I got like firsthand experience with customers and what they were looking for, especially Canadian customers and what they're looking for in the winter time and all these things. And it kind of just slowly built from there. And then I eventually left, um, or just left the store, and she made it by herself. And I moved on to kind of 
know, creating larger and larger collections slowly and slowly over time to, to where we are now. Well, and what a gift to be able to have a storefront right out of the gates of graduation. It's like having a a daily focus group of people coming in and seeing their reactions. What were you learning and taking in in those days? I was learning a lot about like what people were willing to pay, what uh, fabric they were looking for, what was working, um, how things fit, because I got to actually like be there to with people putting their clothes on, um, which was all invaluable things I kind of learned in the beginning. Um, yeah, like just seeing how people reacted to those collections and what they liked and didn't like, and then kind of taking things back in my mind and trying to refine it, you know, moving forward. Well, and you're celebrating a big milestone. This is your 10th anniversary of, of your brand. Congratulations. Thank you. How does it feel to have been a fashion designer for 10 years? And it feels surreal. Um, you know, I always say I feel it feels like we started four years ago. Um, it doesn't feel like 10 years at all. I also think pandemic, you know, changed my perception of what time was a little bit. So, you know, it didn't always feel like 10 years, but it's been great. It's, um, you know, it's been very kind of rewarding to be able to grow a brand and to be with it every step along the way and see where it's come from and reflect on where it was, you know, 2013 and how different the world is now than it was then and you know moving with the flow of things so it's 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 lovely but it is very very surreal I want to talk about that 10 years as you the designer business owner and also as the industry because there's been so many shifts culturally socially technologically in that 10 year how have you evolved as a designer where do you see some of the biggest shifts and impacts or maybe even you know changes in terms of what you were doing 10 years ago and how you've evolved yeah it's it's like so different it's crazy from where we were in 2013 to where we are now like um you know earlier like we didn't have social media wasn't as a big thing as it is now and how we market has been completely different so you know as much as you have a business plan and how you want things to go, you have to be reactive to what's happening in the world and what's happening, um, you know, with technology and what's happening with, you know, influencers and all these different things that are popping up that, that didn't exist when I started, um, or weren't at the beginning of existing when I started. Um, so it's ebbed and flowed a lot. We've, you know, I'm learning new stuff pretty much every single day, which I think is, um, you know, amazing and kind of keeps me on my toes all the time. And we're constantly changing up how we market and who we talk to and how we get the message out there. And, um, you know, the design process has changed completely. Like we used to be completely um, paper patterns and now we, we work on software and just these things that have, you know, the way we've accelerated fashion over 10 years is, is astronomical. And so we're really just trying to keep up and keep at the forefront of it. And, you know, it's exciting to see where it goes. But now AI is a whole other conversation that's coming into effect. And what does that mean for the fashion industry? And, you know, the pandemic changed so much as well in, in the fashion world. And, globalization is huge. So it's, you know, it's about keeping up and trying to keep in the know and making your business as like agile as possible to stay, you know, with the trends and what's happening. That is a tall order. And I know there are things that have always been a foundation of your brand in terms of sustainability and having a really strong feminist perspective. What's been the biggest shift in you as a, as a designer? Is there something you never thought you'd have to address? Or are you like, I never thought I'd be designing even this particular kind of clothing and all of a sudden 
I am? Like, where have you been surprised by yourself? Um, I would say when I got out of school and started my brand, I thought I was going to be designing like 100% of the time. I thought that was all, all I was going to be doing. And it was in the beginning, especially when I was by myself in my studio and it was in my house back then and just putting out, you know, 12 pieces by year. So it was very much me doing everything and mostly designing. And then I would say, you know, over the last four or five years, since we've gotten bigger and we've, you know, selling more places and more countries, I now my like most of my job is running my business and being there to do margins and you know it's trend forecasting and you know financial forecasting and marketing budgets and you know all this kind of thing that go into running a small business that isn't naturally just like specific to fashion but it's specific to like being an entrepreneur and running um, a brand and having employees and you know paying their you know EI and all these things like paying into that you know and their salaries and like little things like that that you don't think about when you're starting which is like so on my mind at all times now. And that's kind of where my job has shifted a little bit more. Um, I also have a great team in place now that I can really rely on. So, you know, I have a design team and then I have a marketing team and then a sales uh, team as well. So it's NPR. So it's like relying on different people to do different things. Whereas before I was kind of trying to do it all, which, you know, my, one of my biggest pieces of advice for a new designer is if you can find someone who compliments you and, and, you know, can play to your, to your, they can pay like not to your strengths, whatever your weaknesses are, they have those strengths and try to find people that compliment you because it'll change your whole business structure. And, you know, if you can give them, you know, ownership over that, which is what, you know, I do now is trying to give people ownership over certain areas of the business. Um, you just will flourish. As you're talking, it makes me think about how so often we really want to uncouple designer and entrepreneur or the creative output and the business operations activities. And I hear you talking about both of them in this very kind of seamless way. What are your thoughts on entrepreneurship? Because it sounds like that's something that's obviously it's you're very much a part of it, but I hear you speaking as an entrepreneur, almost with more um, frequency than speaking as a designer. Yeah, I would say they both are, they're so intertwined. Like you cannot be a designer without being an entrepreneur unless, you know, you work for a company. Like if you want to have your own label, both exist and you have to be able to do both roles. You also can find people that can like be an accountant for you or take on some of these like financial responsibilities, of course. But when you're designing a collection, you have to understand like the minutia of it. So you need to understand your margins, what fabric costs, you know, you know, a button, how much is that going to make the cost of your good be to the consumer? What's your wholesale cost? Like all these things go into when you create a garment. So when I'm out there going to design and I'm going to pick fabric, say for example, a distributor, I like think about the price of that fabric. And if I'm going to make an address that's going to be 1.5 yards and it costs $13 a yard, what does that mean trickle down to the actual final price of the garment? And can I make that price work with that price of fabric? So, you know, as much as it's free reign creativity and you want to get there. Um, the, the structure of our business is because we are a contemporary brand and because we try to keep our price points not too crazy. We like to be able to like make these smart decisions when we're designing so that they actually can be goods that we can produce later at affordable prices for people. So they do go so hand in hand. And so I think having a full grasp on your business is really important when you're designing and you know when you're trying to sell it. And so much of that falls under the umbrella of sustainability mm -hmm. as well. Is that something that has been an ethos for you and for the brand since the beginning? And how have you seen the industry's approach to sustainability 
shift over the 10 years you've been involved? I think, you know, consumers king, like this is what we always say, like, you know, you can make all these things, but you need someone to buy them. And so the way that consumer behavior changes is dictates a lot of what we do as designers and what we do as brands. And I think the consumer is looking for more sustainable options now. And I think um, it forces designer to look for more sustainable options, which forces your fabric mill to get more sustainable options. And then it trickles all the way down to kind of, you know, the beginning of starting a collection. And so, you know, over the years, sustainability really has come at the forefront. Um, I think what's happening now is a lot of people are getting into the conversation of greenwashing and making sure that you're actually being honest about what your sustainability goals are and what's sustainable about those products and not trying to, you know, put, put a you know beautiful green sticker on something that isn't necessarily um, sustainable. And what we're seeing right now is because COVID happened and because transportation costs increased so much and logistics are such a big thing right now, you know, a lot of people are bringing production back to Canada and like that's a huge sustainable way to produce your goods um, because it is so expensive to, you know, ship something even like from wherever you're producing it back to Canada. So there is this element of, you know, bringing it back home and building our own, you know, manufacturing base here. And that's something that we've been, like we personally put as a change in our business is trying to bring more of our manufacturing back to Canada. Um, Not only from a financial standpoint, but just a sustainability way as well. And do you find that the consumer understands what sustainability means as a fashion brand? Like, is there... Is there an alliance with what the consumer is looking for and what as a brand you're able to provide? Because sometimes I think that conversation can get a bit convoluted. Yeah, totally. I think it's like, it's a mix. So some people care, some people don't. It's just the reality of human and human nature. Um, The people that do care and are really interested in are very, very interested in it. And you can see that and they ask questions and they'll want to know things before um, they purchase it. And it's amazing. We love that. Um, and so I think the education and educating people on what's happening, you know, at the root of it, we, we just try to find things that are better for the environment and better for people. I think, you know, naturally when you speak about fashion and sustainability, they never seem to make sense together because, you know, ultimately you're creating a product that, you know, eventually will go and end somewhere that's, you know, whatever the end user of that product is will eventually ends up somewhere, hopefully not a landfill, but it's a reality. So it's about creating like smart decisions to make the lowest impact that you can on the environment. So those are kind of, I think as we're trying to educate the customer about that and how to like, you know, even encourage people to like, you know, don't, don't overbuy, buy some really great pieces, do things that you can do just to make, you know, we're still consuming and buying things you want to, but you know, instead of buying like 12 things, buy three really good things and have them for longer and doing these like small changes, I think people are looking for it and it's starting to shift a bit. And I think people are becoming more aware of it, which is it must be such a tightrope to be a commodity, like to sell stuff and still want to have the message of, but don't buy too much stuff. Like, you know, I, I remember talking with uh, Melody, the CEO and founder of Elite Cosmetics, which is a sustainable um, beauty brand. And it, it's that similar kind of tension, like we just want you to buy better. So if you're going to buy better, please buy from us, but don't buy too much. Like it's it's kind of a... It's a it's an ever shifting sands of messaging sometime in order to make it truthful, right? Yeah, and you know, you, you know we're trying to sell stuff, so like saying don't buy stuff is also a hard message to do as well. So you are walking a tightrope, and you're trying to you're just encouraging people to buy things that they love. I think more than anything, it's like buy things you're passionate about, and 
you know, get as much information before you purchase. You don't have to do as many returns. That's also huge. You know, smart buying, I think is, 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 you know, what we advocate for. It, you know, it must be exciting and a challenge to develop that voice of your brand because, you know, authenticity is one of those words that gets thrown out so much. And I think from an industry point of view, it's something that we're hearing more and more and more about, you You know, what is your authentic voice and having that develop over the past 10 years, is there, has there been an evolution to, to the Hillary McMillan voice? Totally. Um, you know, you're not evolving, you're kind of stuck. So we're always trying to evolve a little bit. And our brand from where it was in the beginning is totally different to where it is now. Um, Say started- more about that. How would have been the big changes? So I started out not as a vegan brand. And we're fully cruelty-free vegan now. Um, when I first started, I was using fur and leather and all these kind of things. And I went through personal changes in my life. And I wanted that to be authentic and reflect that in my brand. So um you know, I transitioned the brand to be vegan um, as well as we wanted to offer more size rings and larger size rings to our consumer. So, you know, we slowly trickled in, you know, going up to a 4X and making sure that our our collection now is fully available up to a 4X, not just like select styles, which is something you see in fashion brands and fashion collaborations or whatever. So these have all changes we've made kind of over over time. And now it's like very much who we stand for now, but, you know, there was a pathway to get to, to where we are. I sense a real methodicness to the business decisions you have made. And I want to talk about the increased sizing because I think certainly in recent years, there's been a very strong voice of, well, every brand should just offer all the sizes. Like, why isn't there more size inclusivity? Why aren't you offering it up to a bigger size? Did you feel that pressure as a brand and what was going on internally for you guys? I never really felt the pressure. Um, I think we were kind of one of the first, one of the more, you know, one of the first people to do it kind of like uh, our size of brand. I mean, so like um, we were kind of at the forefront of it a little bit. So even though it wasn't that long ago, which is kind of crazy to think about, um, the conversation has shifted so much over the last couple of years. So we, people express interest in wanting to, you know, buy our clothes, but in larger sizes. So, um, but it's always something that I wanted to do. So it was always something that I was kind of like looking to do. I wanted to do it. So I didn't get taught it in school. I didn't get taught anything above like an extra large, large. So mm-hmm. I took a lot of time to kind of research, you know, different body types, talking to the community, trying to figure out what people are looking for, design details that matter to them. Um, and I discovered a lot just by listening to different people and what they were looking for and, you know, being active in social media. And, and you know, there's a, you know, the BOPO movement is really huge. And there's a lot of people out there talking about what they're looking for and what they like and don't like in that space. So, um, that was kind of where I started it all out. It was like a lot of learning. And I think anyone that wants to do it, you know, correctly should also do it that way is take time to learn and figure out what the customer wants. I also think a lot of people dabble in it a little bit and they'll increase their sizing, but they don't understand that you can't just do like one season and then expect, you know, a larger body just to come to you and buy all your stuff immediately. Like you need to market it to, to people. You need to tell people it's out there. You need to have consistency. Like you need to keep having it. You need to try it for multiple years. And if it doesn't work for you, that's a different conversation you have down the line. But um, it's not like you just make it and people will come. You need to be out there in the community and promoting it and showing those clothes on different body types. And, you know, a lot of, you know, big conversation in, in getting up to larger sizes is people want to 
there's not access to a lot of things at stores. So people want to buy it in their home and take multiple sizes and try on different sizes to figure out what they are. And then your returns can be higher because a lot of people do that to figure out what their fit is. And so there is a lot of barriers to entry that I think um, people don't always understand, especially if you're not in designing and having a business. But it's also not that hard to do either. So more people should be embracing it as well. And it, it's a commitment, but it's not a commitment you can't succeed at. So um, I encourage people to do it. You know, we're always here to offer advice too. And I think clothing was the first step in this conversation, but there's stuff like shoes is really big and jewelry and like extended bracelets and ring sizes. And it trickles down into like bags, crossbody bags, making the, ba- the bag look bigger. It trickles down into every kind of area and every industry of that's kind of in the fashion realm. So it's, it's getting better. <laughs> it sounds like the entrepreneur in you is seeing a an industry that's continuing to evolve and you're thinking of not just the design element, but all the other things that need to be in place in order to execute that successfully. Yeah, I think during COVID, we were making some big strides in, in, in you know, expanding sizes. It kind of seems like, you know, last fashion week, especially across the world, we saw a bit of a dip down in that, you know, the rise of all this like Ozempic speak and all these things and, and you're seeing like less plus size models in the runway and less visibility so I'm hoping that was just kind of like it's just a brief moment in time and it's going to keep pushing forward but you know we'll see you've mentioned COVID a couple of times and I'm wondering what that experience was like for you as a brand was there was there evolution that you weren't really planning on, but it happened anyway, just out of necessity? What was that period of time churning about in the Hillary McMillan world? It started out very scary. So we were under the impression that we were just going to crumble. Like I just was, you know, having a hard time with where we were going and what was going to happen. And it, you know, there, yeah, it was just a scary time. It turned into this like really creative Canadians supporting Canadians. We saw so much local support. We saw media wanting to only cover Canadian brands. We saw, you know, consumers looking to support Canadian brands. So it ended up turning into this kind of like beautiful embracement of Canadian fashion and Canadian, you know, everything Canadian in this time, which was absolutely amazing to see. Um, We had a very big expansion during COVID and um, it allowed us to do more things that we weren't necessarily going to be doing at that time so for example we you know started a home collection and that purely was based on the fact that so many people were like you know maybe not buying clothes but were investing in like their spaces and wanting to make their spaces theirs and uniquely yours theirs and so you know we have a really fun playful spin here we do a lot of patterns and prints and we thought we could offer something to the consumer that was a little bit more fun and exciting and colorful and canadian and all these things and so we kind of got into that area um and like little changes like that is stuff we've made over over COVID. But it was a weird time, but also like very good. And, you know, it was not good for a lot of people. So it's hard to kind of admit that. But for us, it was, you know, this great kind of Canadian support. Well, it sounds like it. you had the, the gift of being able to be creative and kind of think outside the designer box, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Has that support that had such a swell during COVID, has it maintained? What is what is that like support Canadian energy like right now? Um so it got our name out to a lot more people. So in terms of like um being able to maintain that was has been good. I would say it, it dropped off a little bit after COVID's 
ended it or ended, I don't know, kind of yeah. ended. <laughs> dropped <laughs> somehow. Yeah, I don't know, wherever it went. Um, so yeah, we saw kind of like, you know, a little bit of drop off in terms of like support and stuff, but we were able to build such a beautiful like, base during that time that we were able to kind of keep consistency in that. So that was that's a big win for us. We had talked a little bit before we, we hopped onto this about life events that are affecting fashion. And I think that's something that's so personal in perspective. And I'm wondering what's like, what's your lens on that? Like, what are you seeing as the big things that are affecting fashion right now? Um, I think the recession is huge. I think we're not, none of people are talking about that. I think those are kind of big, um, you know, when we're struggling to, you know, put food on the table that, you know, what's the first thing you're not going to buy is like a new shirt or whatever. So little things like that, I think, impact us so greatly, um, especially kind of in the bathroom when things are kind of more, um, you want to have it, so you want to get it, but it's not always necessary. It's not necessary spending as like groceries are. So like little things like that and the way the ebbs and flows in in um, the economy is always big and affects us. Um, yeah, the weather has been kind of crazy. So that like weirdly has a huge impact on our business, especially like if it's warmer, longer, people are like, don't think about coats. And so like the seasonality of things shift a little bit for us, which is we're kind of reacting to it now and like where things are going, which I think has been really kind of an interesting way. You know, usually like the coat season would kind of start selling in August and now we're seeing it more in October just because it's not getting cold as quickly. And so we're kind of shifting our timelines a little bit on things, but like all these things are so effective to our, our business. And swim must have been an exciting category to enter. This is your second swim season, third? So we did our first one last year and then around the same time. And then we just dropped our swim on Monday. So um, this is this past week. So yeah, it was good. Swim is fun. It's like, um, it's like a, it was definitely a challenge to get going just because it's a whole other ballgame in terms of fit and construction and all these things. So um, you know, we had a bit of a learning curve in the beginning about getting it, you know, ready to market, but now we're kind of smoother sailing. So, you know, we love doing it. It's, it's like colorful, it's bright, it's, you know, fun little details. It's, and we love being able to offer up through Forex because, you know, creating more options in that space too. You are, you are just like a bundle of optimism and like, we've been, <laughs> you know, we've been lucky and things are, you know, managing. Okay. Like I can hear your like engine that could like continuing to chug along. What, what keeps you buoyant? Like this is, you know, fashion, I don't think is an easy industry, no matter where you live. Um, Canada certainly has some unique challenges, but I think creatives everywhere can resonate with like, it is, it is not an easy, an easy path. What keeps you buoyant and can, can consistently pushing in your industry? Um, I guess first off, I love what I do. So, you know, I've chosen this career, um, I've actually this career. So I think, you know, keeping that in mind is that I love doing this. So that keeps me going. Um, my team is huge for me. I love people that I work with. We've created kind of this like tight knit, tight knit team over here, and we really support each other for the bad times and the good. Um, but you know, it's just like just chugging along. Fashion is such a hard industry. The margins are razor thin. You know, it changes constantly. Um, you know, one collection can't do as well as another. It's just these little things that happen all the time, um, and you just gotta really like 
just keep going. You know, we just push forward and we just, we always try to find the wins and that's kind of like, and learn, like find the wins and learn and make it better. That's just kind of our mantra here is just always, always be improving, always be listening to your consumer, always be trying to make things better and better. Do you love it as much now as you did when you first started? I think I like it more. Um, I found when I first started, it was, I felt very overwhelmed. I uh, didn't, you know, I was, cause I was trying to do everything being a jack of all trades and I was very overwhelmed with everything. Um, now I feel much more like not climbing as much an upward hill battle is more kind of like, you know, even footing and sometimes it's rocky is kind of how I feel. And I like that better. So I feel more stable and maybe that's, that's, you know, where I like to be at. Um, there's definitely, you know, hard times and of course, but. Yeah. Now. But there you go. That was a long way to say now. It's a loaded way to say here. <laughs> what do you want people to know about Canadian fashion? Like I think, you know, just from talking to people in my world, there's an appetite for it, but then there are these barriers of just awareness and stuff like that. What would you like people to know about Canadian fashion that would hopefully inspire them to support local designers? Um, I would say like, you got to do your research. I think if you don't know some Canadian brands, um, do your research, find one that you like, find things that work for you. There's so many options. There's so many Canadian brands you don't even know about, or maybe you don't know they're Canadian. Um, they're small, they're medium size. Like these are really, where like, you're finding some really cool, interesting things. And then I would say, just try them out. Like it doesn't hurt, you know, test a couple pieces, go to their shops, engage them on social media. You know, usually when you're talking to them on on Instagram or wherever, you're usually talking to the founder. They're talking to someone small. Um, ask them if you don't. If you're unclear about their fit or anything, ask them about it, and you know, take some time to really just like learn about them, um, because there's some really things out there. And, you know, when we support each other, you know, you know, nothing bad can come of that. You know, we're only helping our economy. We're helping other people. We're employing people. You know, it's just all in all a good thing to support Canadians. Well, and if people want to reach out and DM you, Hillary, now that <laughs> the floodgates have been open, where can people find more about you and the Hillary McMillan brand? So we're on all the majors, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just at Hillary McMillan. And then we have our website, www.hillarymcmillan.com. You can just Google us and we're, we'll show up. And we'll link those all down below. And it's Hillary with one L. One L, yes. <laughs> Hillary, thank you so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me here on Fashion Talks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends, your family, on your networks. It would mean the world to me. Fashion Talks is done in partnership with the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. You can find out more about them at CAFA Awards, C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S on Instagram. This episode was produced by Jason Perrier. You can find him on Instagram at a Jason Perrier. You can follow the pod at Fashion Talks Pod, and you can follow me at This Is Donna B. All of us on Instagram. I hope you will join us again next week. Thank you so much and have a great day.